back to the Masters of Modern Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Tesla, here by myself. Uh, we are traveling to Gen Con this week. If you were at Gen Con and said hi to us, hey, what's up? I am glad we got to see each other. If you haven't, if you weren't able to, that's totally fine. We're also in the middle of a Kickstarter, uh, just up the front side of things. Make sure to check that out. It's for drop.d20s. They're these cool spiky balls. Uh, hopefully at this point, we've already blasted past our funding goal. And if we haven't, uh, can you please help us do so? Because uh, they're really fun and we are excited to bring them to the market. And we've had a really good response to them in person every time we brought them somewhere. Just we've never been able to figure out a way to sell them uh, to like a retailer situation. So we wanted to do it directly in Kickstarter. And there's a bunch of uh, cool content that's there and stretch goals that we're reaching towards. And we love everyone's help because I think they're really cool and they're fun to play with. Um, in the meantime, I would also love to see any game ideas people can come with in the comments on this video for them. Like, what can you use? A big, outdoor-friendly, uh, bouncy, spiky, soft ball. That's a D20. That would be cool to see. But yeah, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's just by myself, uh, mostly because of all the traveling. Uh, ben is on the road, as is Michael and everyone else, and I wanted to get see if I can get something else out. This might be a short episode because of it, but uh, this morning, Mark Rosewater released his State of Design 2022 article, and I figured we'd kind of be able to go over it together. Um, it's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting things he kind of talks about. It. If you haven't read his State of Design articles every year, I do recommend it. He literally has every single one from 2005 to, 220, uh, to 2021 listed. And as like a chronological statement on every year of magic is a really fun read to do. Uh, this is the 2022 one. Basically what he does is he goes over an overarching complaints and strengths for a year. Um, was this year a success? What could have been better? What could have been done? Uh, what was done that was bad and can you do better next time? And what was stuff that we did great that we should kind of keep doing? He then goes set by set and talks about strengths and weaknesses and all that as, as throughout the year. And it's a great article, highly recommend it. And, 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 and in some ways it's interesting to kind of delve in what he thinks were the strengths compared to like what the community response to that is. Plus what um, I think from a design perspective, as a person who's designed games before, um, I disagree, agree with, etc. Uh, first off, before we get started, I want to do a big shout out also to our sponsor, uh, Channel Fireball. That's also the home of the podcast. You can find us on channelfireball.com along with uh, any podcast app or um, YouTube channel with our name on it. Um, and if you are buying cards on their marketplace, please use the code TheMMCast at checkout. It helps them know that we sent you their way and also uh, gets you a small amount of benefits on top of that. So please check that out. Uh, one of the best card shops on the internet and one of the biggest names in magic, channelfireball.com. So first is highlights. Overall magic design. We're starting there. We're starting in the overall magic design category. Here are the highlights. The first highlight is uh, we pushed the boundaries of what magic can do. If you asked me 10 years ago if we did some of the things we did this year, I would have said no one. No way. One of the things that excites me most about my job is that it's always changing and never boring. I love that there's an endless supply of new challenges to take on. The key, though, is that we have to be smart where and how we do this, but I think R&D is mostly doing it right. Um, I think what he's talking about here, just uh, across the board, is two sets in the fall, um, a uh, vampire wedding set, maybe, um, the uh, Baldur's Gate set, I think in general, has multiple layers to it, a commander draft format, a Dungeons and Dragons set in standard, or a Dungeons and Dragons themed commander set, um, a licensed property set being included in it. Uh, you also have the fact that both Kamigawa was a like futuristic set, and you had New Capenna, which was a like modern y, at least turn of the century New York set. Uh, and both of those have really strong 
interesting features to them that I agree. If you had asked me five years ago, would Magic do hackers? <laughs> I would say no. The next thing uh, on the highlights is we experimented with how to properly readjust the color pie. The place this is most obvious is in white. For years, it was the fifth color in Commander, and we've spent years figuring out how to make white more viable in ways that still white philosophic. The work isn't just on white, though, but the other color is a little subtler. Uh, I do enjoy that the color pie, the foundation of the game mechanically and creatively can change along with this game. Uh, I do think I mean, I think it's very obvious with white that this has come to the forefront. I think there's still work to do there, which he says, um, but there's definitely a lot more powerful things in white. Now, one thing I will complain about is that a lot of the really powerful things in white are coming out in Commander product that have no foil. So if you want to do any foiling to these, they don't exist. That's a small complaint. Give me our Mancer's map and foil, please, Wizards. Um, but... I do think it's really interesting how they, what directions they've gone with white. It's cool too that it hasn't broken anything yet in in an eternal format fashion. You know, one thing that like I think the red side has kind of made leaps and bounds in that direction, and I do think some of red's treasures and the higher increase in goad and and exile effects in red have been the other side of what he's talking about. I do think there's also explorations around black. I I've stated before that once white is no longer the worst color in commander. I think black becomes the next one, partially due to the fact that um, the things that black is best at, tutors in Commander, are more and more becoming a thing that's frowned on or a thing that people assuage against in, in casual formats just because a tutor really kind of like lowers the variety in gameplay. And one of the benefits to Commander is variety in gameplay, where, and then when you, kind of get past that you have aristocrat strategies that like have their negative pulls to them you have um like reanimator which i think like could be better that's one thing i think black could play in a little bit better but i, I am interested to see where they go in general for black uh, moving forward um and I, I really do appreciate the stuff that's been going on in white i think there's a conversation for a long time and we've said for a while like it takes two years just to get this process started and they don't want to just like drop the set that has like 10 white staples immediately they have to spread that out over a couple of years the way they did that for red and we're seeing that ramification happening uh, we adapted our design to the feedback of our customers. Uh, part of the adapting the game is understanding how the audience wants to play it. Magic has gone through a lot of changes over the last 10 years, but I'm proud of all the work that R&D has put into understanding what those changes mean and how we've been able to shift our design to meet those needs. So, for those who don't know, Mark Rosewater doesn't like Commander. <laughs> This is true for a lot of listeners of this podcast, and that's a totally fine thing. But there's been a long time where Mark Rosewater has been resistant to Commander product or just the the idea of four player magic being the primary format of this. This is him saying, and you, and you can read it throughout the article, and even in the last point, a lot of um, the changes that have happened this year specifically is Magic has become a game where. R&D has realized Commander is the most played format of Magic. And beyond that, internal Magic in general. The lesson here is like Standard isn't the most important format. What's happening on Arena is a totally different world than what's happening in design. And something that isn't really talked about here is some of the digital-only stuff that they're doing. Um, but I do think is part of what he's saying in both boundaries of what Magic can do, as well as uh, adapting to the feedback of our customers. You know, the main players of Standard are on Arena now, and so if that's true, then the Standard-only mechanics make, or the Arena-only mechanics make sense to make that format as best as possible, and at the same time, Paper Magic is leaning much more into Modern, Pioneer, and Commander is the main three ways people can focus on playing uh, in person, alongside Limited. Um, and I think that that's a little bit of what he means by listening to the feedback of customers, because it's not like they haven't done that before, right? Like over 
especially Mark Rosewater, is one of the most publicly facing game design leads of all time. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that you've been able to interact with Mark Rosewater in the way you have for one of the largest distributed games on the planet is something that doesn't really exist for other games. And so the fact that he's saying now, as part of this year, they've listened to feedback, to me is him saying Commander is now the forefront of Magic. Uh, and that's good or bad, that's up to you. Um, but definitely Wizards is saying that that's, that's a true statement moving forward. Um, now, I do think that leads a little bit into a conversation that me and Ben had last week, which is the Acorn on the commander uh, setting. And, and and I do have a tinfoil hat feeling that the commander or uh, uh, un, the unset that's coming out, Infinity, is black border partially due to the things that are true. But I think that's partially also like Mark Rosewater doesn't, how to say this, I believe that Mark Rosewater has a little bit of a like an annoyance in the back of his head that the most popular casual format is not his silver border one. <laughs> and for the record, I think Mark Rosewater was one of the most influential game designers of all time. I think he's extraordinarily impressive. I think he's an extraordinarily nice person. Every interaction I've ever had with him, both online and in person, has been really nice. I met him twice. Uh, but that being said, uh, I do think that he loves the unsets and he wishes from the very beginning that the unsets were the casual way of playing and not commander, which... I disagree with. I think Commander follows the rules of Magic in a way that makes it better. And so this is his version of being, well, if you're not going to let it work, I'm just going to make it hard for you to tell. Tinfoil hat off. All right. So these are the lessons they learned from this last year. So those are the three strengths, uh, which are fascinating. These are the three lessons. The first lesson, we need to be more conscious about backwards compatibility. We're now designing for what I call an eternal world, where the core of Magic play evolves the full history of the game. This means we must be better at uh, about understanding how current designs play with older designs. It's not enough to make something cool in a vacuum. We have to shape it such that it complements what has come before it. This is probably the current force most likely to change the immediate future of design. So this is two things. He talks about this later and we'll read it about how um, the day and night mechanic wasn't backwards compatible with werewolves. I think this is a little bit of what he's, what he's talking about. This is though another point to commanders on the main way people play. The most common way people play is no longer standard, a rotating format. So we aren't able to build stuff within a single standard set. It's now looking back, looking at the last, um, you know, 30 years of content and the way people are playing with it in commander and modern and legacy and pioneer. And how do we mold our formats or the new cards and mechanics we're doing so that they best incorporate those abilities. Why come up with something brand new that, you know, that doesn't have any support. And so it's just going to make a relatively medium commander deck or come up with something that plays really well with the spirits from uh, Kamigawa block or plays really well with the old werewolves still, even though we have a new werewolf mechanic. I mean, the point is that this is him stating the new way we're moving forward is commander is the primary way that magic is played. And beyond that, modern is probably the most popular in paper magic played format. And then after that pioneer and then standard, maybe standard is more popular than pioneer, but I doubt it is in paper magic. And it definitely is on arena, right? That's the one place it is. Next lesson is we need to be careful with complexity as the side effect of moving toward an eternal world. We've upped the amount of complexity we're allowing in each set. While I understand why we're doing it. I know we need to be vigilant to make sure we don't fall into the old mistakes. A new player is always going to start the game from the same place. We must be careful not to leave them behind. Um, so I think this is interesting in two features to it. One is this is what Ben talks about a on the podcast right he, especially last year every set came out and he like would have trouble during review season because it's like every card is a brick of text and you might miss something everything is a questing piece and that makes it really hard to grok what's going on in a game not to mention what cards do ahead of time which i i agree with that that in in general i think one thing to make this better is reprint more old favorites and standard 
So one example is that Lightning Bolt, which is one of the most iconic cards in, in, in Magic. It's the, the face of this podcast. Uh, Lightning Bolt was between was was left standard originally in fourth edition which was ended around 1996 uh and or rotated out of standard in 1996 it then was brought back in magic 2010 which was standard uh 2009 so that's a 13 year difference right now and then it rotated in 2012 out of standard no no, no but rotated out of 2011 out of standard so um right now we are one year away for it being just as long that lightning bolt hasn't been in standard today as it was last year. Uh, and I think like bringing classic staple effects back to standard helps a little bit. I like when was last time birds, I think that's last time birds of paradise was also in standard. And like, these are some staple cards that I think would actually make standard more exciting. That's another thing is like standard is this like ghost town for people that want to be familiar with how they play magic. And there's not a lot of, uh, nostalgia being brought into standard and i think these are ways you could do that um in general that's kind of wild i like i'm glad i figured that out in this art in, in this episode <laughs> that we're one year away if lightning bolt does not get printed in the next year it'll be as long that it hasn't been in standard as it was when it was reprinted in m10 and then from that point on will be longer and longer and i think that helps with complexity one of the problem one of the reasons things become more and more complex and there are ways to fight against this but is that be- you know, design is a limited resource technically. And so to make things newer and newer, you have to add complexity and complexity on top of it to make it more exciting, different, uh, or, or, or different playing. And a lot of the basic effects have already been used. There's going to be some coughing in the background of this podcast. My son, uh, is sick for the very first time. He doesn't have COVID, but it is something. So I apologize. Uh, uh, and we need to be more conscious of how we talk about our products. A lot of the mistakes of this last year were not about what we designed, but in how we communicated to the audience what to expect. Any design, even a strong one, can be led astray if the audience isn't properly prepared for what it is. We need to be better at understanding how to communicate what we made such that the audience is expecting what we designed. This one is another little throwing another team under the bus sentence, which I think is fascinating to have in this article. Um, the fact that, you know, moder- like, He's referencing a few things, and, we'll, and obviously, as we go through the different sets individually, it'll come up. But he's referencing the fact that, um, you know, in New Capenna, the Angels' relationship to the set wasn't really well established. And I think some of these issues are the block structure going away. Like, if New Capenna set one was no Angels and the five families running it, and then New Capenna set two was the Angels arrived and uh, Avison restored esque, I think that would be a really good story to be told. But that's not what we got. We got it all at once. And if you're not directly paying attention to the story, it's really confusing. Um, and the story itself is also confusing because it ends kind of at the moment the angels show up. And we don't really get a good idea on like, what they're doing in the city or what their purpose is. The card story and what's happening in the game, the actual game mechanics don't match up well. Um, and like, I think that there's... It's hard because you can't do mysteries without blocks. Like if I were in charge of the story for New Capenna, I would have the onset be the angels are back. Why? Um, that way, the big thing that's happening, which is angels showing up, are going to happen in every pack anyways. And so it's not like a weird, like there are no angels in this set, except for those angels. And we'll, we'll talk about that more thoroughly. Some other stuff is like the, the double feature. Like some of it is like they can't talk about what things are until they preview it. People were hoping for more of an established thing. I think the biggest mistake with double feature, I'll get to that. Uh, let me let me get it in individually. <laughs> um, all right, let's start with the first set. Inishwa Midnight Hunt. Uh, highlights. The new mechanics were most popular. Uh, Decay, Disturb, and Daylight, Day, Night all had their share of fans. Players enjoyed how each of them took a mechanic theme we've done before and found new space to play in. Decay had a surprising amount of depth and was a flavorful addition to zombies. Disturb was a novel tweak on the aftermath. 
and finally gave spirits a mechanic to coalesce around. Day and Night did a good job of extending the werewolf mechanic into an element that affected the whole game. There was little criticism that Day and Night was harder to track in tabletop, and some discussion around whether it was supposed to go away if no cards on the table cared about it, which is something they spent a lot of time discussing in design. There were people who enjoyed how Coven cared about a new facet of the game, having different power features, but it got the most criticism of the new mechanics. Um, I agree with all this. I think Disturb is probably my favorite of this, with Decay being uh, second. Uh, he talks about Day and Night in a second. Um, I love, I love the the disturbed. I love the idea that spirits also can do flashbacky things. And I think, I think I disliked a little bit more in It Comes in Val the fact that they became enchantments. It became less useful the first time around, though. Was maybe one of my favorite uh, mechanics from this whole set. And I, I hope it comes back. And and honestly, one of the sad points when we get to Kamigawa, he mentions it is the lack of spirits throughout the throughout that set tribal was like something I was calling as a, a good idea for the year because having spirit tribal throughout the year is a connecting link that a lot of these sets could have had that don't uh, for standard, um, which which is is sad. But otherwise, yeah, disturb is really cool. Magic, I think, does well when it's able to get past the constraints that all of its it like that it uses relatively small integers, and so the difference between a one one and a two two is vast. And if you want to do a one point five, you can't. And decay is a great mechanic that lets you do that. Um, often, I think that wizards for a long time has been against bringing back mechanics that are technically downsized and naming naming them. And I think this was a really cool way of doing it by putting it on tokens. The next thing is additional witches and folk horror was appreciated. One of the challenges in doing an Innistrad set is touching upon the classic tropes of gothic horror while also trying to add new horror elements to the plane. A lot of players enjoyed the Innistrad Midnight Hunt, added a new thing to the mix. While Matt, Mechanic of the Witches wasn't super popular, the flavor of them was. There was a lot of positive comments about the visual aesthetics of the set that came up from this new element. Love this. Totally agree. Witches are really cool. It's one of like the main horror elements we hadn't really touched upon over the last few Innistrad sets. And knocked out of the park. Zero complaints. The revisit of old characters was enjoyed. One of the things players seem to enjoy about revisiting is getting to see old characters they enjoyed in new forms in particular. I got a lot of positive comments about Hal and Alana and Arlene Core getting new cards. Y yeah. <laughs> uh, this, I think, is very true. I mean, I guess this is a lesson in the sense that in the first return to Innistrad, there wasn't as much of this. Like, we oh, we got a new Thalia, yeah, we got a new Odric. I don't know. I think that's just like a normal, this is not surprising to me, statement. I don't... I don't know why it's in this article because it's like a like a, a not an obvious brag, but uh, here we are. I, one thing I will say is I did appreciate how, and this is me on this set, the ramifications of Emrakul being on the plane were felt here. The fact that Emrakul being in the moon did have some meaning in regards to what was going on on the plane versus when we returned the Zendikar, it was kind of like the Eldrazi never existed. Pretend they aren't here. Here it was like the Eldrazi. I like the I like a little bit of a recovery from that without leaning too heavily into it. In fact, I wish there was maybe a little bit more, um, if anything, of that. Like hints of like some of the healing from that process. But I think they did a better job here than they did in uh, Rises of the Car. Players enjoyed the premiere of Multicolor Flashback and New Land Cycle. Players enjoyed the flashback of Return of Innistrad. Has been one of the uh, it has been their they're the first visit, but not the second. And like the tweak of there being multicolor flashback cards, the new slow land started in Innistrad. Midnight I had a completed Innistrad Crimson Battle were also hit. I mean, flashback's my favorite mechanic of all time. I agree. I would like it to show up more often. I think it's cooler than cycling, and we keep getting cycling. So give us more flashback. Uh, and I, I guess I complained of, of Midnight Hunt, or I'll, I'll get to, to Crimson Bell, but I will say I wish there was madness in Crimson Bell. Um, theme it around like the madness of love or like people getting drunk at a wedding. I'm fine with that. But uh, I, that was a sad point for me is we got, we got flashback back and we had two sets bring madness back for the second, especially with blood tokens and how they would interact with madness. The lands are cool. I, yeah, they're called slow lands. I don't know. It's a good land cycle. 
it's the nice thing about it is it's simple, I guess. It's just a yeah. Uh, lessons. Werewolves didn't get their due. When we originally announced the set, we gave it to temporary placeholder named Innistrad Werewolves. The set was an expedition for a product more focused on werewolves than it ended up being. In addition, when compared to the other major creature types, players felt they didn't get to shine nearly as brightly. The werewolves numbered fewer than the other focused creature types. They had only one legendary creature, although Torvar got high marks, and none of that reflected werewolves not showing up in the in black. Uh, it only got a revamp mechanic rather than something new. The wolves, which are supposed to be the werewolves' allies, didn't get much. The werewolves were the only major creature type not to get in a company commander deck, with a few exceptions. They weren't particularly strong, and they were the worst draft archetype. More on this below. Not a great showing for the werewolf set. Uh, I agree with this. Uh, I think the fact that there wasn't a commander product for it is insane to me. That I mean, I know why, because of the cost of doing double face cards, but I think you're printing a product all on its own, and if it's that's the theme, that's a good place to bring it back a lot of reprints as well. Um, a Jund werewolf also seems like a good idea for this set. And and he brings up wolves. Also, the Wolfier is like a thing that has been established on Innistrad is like the non-flip card version of a werewolf. It's like their permanent wolf forms. I don't know why that group has not come back. That's a mechanic from this world that's like totally been dropped. Where are the Wolfier? And why couldn't... Like that's an easy way also to get around the double. Because I agree that there is a problem where double-sided cards are limited in how many you can have in a pack. And the answer to that is stuff like the Wolfier, which are permanent werewolves. Have them come back as part of the moon setting. Oh, it even makes sense for the story of the story where the moon is becoming more permanent. And so the Wolfier are back as a part of the werewolves. They make it all happen. Uh, I'm mad that didn't work. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Data, it wasn't backwards compatible. Tabletop's magic post is broader than it's ever been, with players wanting to play new cards with old cards. The fact that the old werewolves and the new werewolves don't play smoothly together was seen as a big mistake. I agree. Uh, I think the night was bad. I think it was, a, it was hard to understand. It messed with something that people kind of understood already. It wasn't something that was super complicated. We went through two entire Innistrad sets where that was never the problem. In fact, in one of them, it was the greatest strength of the set. Uh, so I think that the fact that we got this weird new one that then makes it so it doesn't work with like stuff like the wolf mist card that makes it so all your cards flip over and you prevent all damage from non-werewolf stuff like that like that backwards mentality ballady is super important and this seems like a, a thing that a designer found a cute way to make it easier on arena but worse in every other facet um i think that's something also to take into account with this kind of theme of we are no longer we are now designing for eternal and not for standard is that there was a grand switchover between now and Strixhaven where Wizards has decided that Arena is no longer the main focus for design and Paper Magic is and day and night feels like an arena focused mechanic something like learn and now that Commander exists they're like okay we can't print anything that doesn't work with Commander so like I don't think learn's coming back or learn like I think the wish mechanics are are going to slow down significantly. Which kind of sucks, because I think for other formats, it's better. Like, best of one is no longer the focus, it's Commander, which is wild. That ha have happened in two years. The colors worked of equal power level in limited formats, especially draft. The colors weren't evenly balanced, with white, blue, and black being stronger than red and green. Sadly, the main werewolf colors, the Sledisert archetypes, especially blue and black zombies, being dominant. Um, double feature was the biggest. I'll, I'll get into the double feature in a second. So... Um, yep. I mean, it, we talked about werewolves should have been more of a thing. Red, green being better in the set, that's fine. I will say that I wish they had more self-null strategy in the set. I know this is me saying that, which means, of course, I want that. But, like, there were so many cool things that when I tried doing it in the set, I couldn't do graveyard things as much as I wish I could. All the graveyard flashback stuff was much more like, oh, these have flashback, great. There wasn't, like, a spider spawning style deck. There wasn't a... Um, 
uh, burning dungeon style deck in the format. And I kind of wish there was more of that because that's one of the best parts of original Innistrad and it not being there is sad. All right. And the last one is double feature was a big mess. This isn't quite a design issue and isn't exactly about Innistrad Midnight but it was one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got about Innistrad Midnight Players believed double feature was unnecessary. They didn't like the black and white aesthetic, but we misled the audience on what the contents were going to be and were upset that it wasn't a crafted draft experience rather than just two sets thrown together. I agree with this for with mild I know what I wanted it to be. I know what I wish it was. I wish it was Innistrad Remastered. I wish they took Innistrad block and Shadows over Innistrad block and this block and then made a cube out of all of those cards and printed it as a set. And then make sure Liliana and Snapcaster Mage and all of the valuable cards from Shadows are all in it. So there's like a remaster feature to it. I would and then have a have a like the way you do collector boosters have a one out of whatever packs. Every pack has a altered art version of a list of cards, kind of the strip. That's what you do at like Strixhaven. There's a Mystical Archive. That Mystical Archive is like other cards from other sets that are spooky that could be on Innistrad, and they all have the black and white double feature border. That's what I would have done. That sounds way better. Innistrad Remastered is exactly what everyone wanted from double feature, and it would have been a slam dunk success of a set. That being said, I believe this product maybe was meant to be that, and COVID happened, and it's a lot harder to design that type of cube product digitally, and so they went with double feature. Moving on. Innistrad Crimson Bow Highlights. Players appreciated having mechanic overlap between sets. With the absence of blocks and no back-to-back sets on the same plane since War of the Spark, players appreciated that we overlapped some mechanics between Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Innistrad Crimson Bell. In particular, they liked that the certain mechanic evolved between sets. Bring back blocks, please, Withers of the Ghost. Uh, I think this is the way to do it. I think I'm fine if we do two blocks a year, or one block a year, and then two standalone sets a year, and maybe figure out how to do the standalone sets where the commander product finishes or begins the story. Like, imagine if the commander product for... for uh, uh, New Capenna showed the world with no angels, and then the main set was the story of them showing up, or vice versa, that this is the only set that had angels in it, and there's like two angels in the main set. That would have been a much more one-two punch. We don't get that. Innistrad allows you to do that. I will. I do say I wish that these two sets were a little bit more interlinked than they are. They, I know that there is a story where the werewolves attack the wedding, and it's all based on what happens in the first one. That's, that, that's, that's, that's fair. Blood was appreciated mechanically. R&D has been designing more artifact tokens as of late, and blood tokens were the latest addition to that trend. The majority opinion seems to be that blood tokens played well and helped with deck smoothing. The biggest complaint about blood tokens was about the flavor, which didn't seem like as big of a slam dunk as clues, treasures, and food tokens have been. Um, I, I would say... I have three complaints. One is with food tokens that I wish that there were more synergy within the limited format or the set itself to take advantage of blood tokens. And specifically, I wish that there's just madness was in the set. I think madness should have been in the set. <laughs> um, blood tokens go so well with madness. It's another reason that I wish there was a larger instead of just double featured that it was in Astronomy Masters. I think blood goes so well with the vampires and other sets that I think that would have been really cool. I think it was also a little underpowered. As much as I was like, Odric is dope. You could do dope things with him. He hasn't done anything. I'm fine. I was wrong. You got you got it from me. But um, I think blood tokens are really cool. I I think when you add, if you added madness into the set about blood causing that madness and that mechanic was in the set, that flavor hits harder. Um, without madness in the set, I think blood is a little bit of a weird flavor for draw a card, discard a card. Um, and I agree that it could have been something like drain drain one when you sack it, which is the other thing that it could have been because we don't have, like, a damage-dealing one, and, like, do one damage, gain one life would be kind of cool. Um, especially with Knive coming out later, so we've had just, like, a better loot mechanic later in the year. Um, one last thing with Blood Cards uh, is that um, I wish that uh, Academy Manufacturer did the Tarmogoyf thing. I know it's not possible 
because you, we like maybe maybe just have a like a blood token show up in that set. Like do do some do some time spirally stuff out of Modern Horizons. That's what Modern Horizons one was. Preview blood tokens in the set, like one or two cards, including the Academy Manufacturer. And I know that card's already busted, but have it make four. <laughs> have it make have it make blood tokens as well make it somewhat backwards compatible or have lonus do it i don't know just it would have been cooler um it's weird that the same year we got an entire set where like all three artifact tokens all work together in a cool way and then they come up with another major one and it doesn't interact with any of those cards the Dracula cards were well received. For the first time since Ikoria Layer Behemoths and Godzilla cards, we did another of the overlay, another IP, this time Dracula by Bram Stoker. I get a lot of positive feedback from players who enjoyed the book and felt we did a good job finding appropriate cards for the book characters and settings. Yeah, I love these. I don't know. I'm a big fan of bringing other IPs into Magic. Give me the Super Smash Brothers as a card game. Um, I don't even like Bram Stoker's Dracula that much, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the wedding theme was fun. As with it, any feedback, the audience doesn't always agree. Some players adored the wedding theme of the set and loved the numerous top-down cards it allowed. The other, They also liked the general look of the set. They helped to give it a distinct identity separate from other six expansions set on Innistrad. Yeah, I love the wedding idea. I love it so much. I want more. I want so much to return to Ravnica during the winter and to go to Ral and Tomic's winter wedding and have it be like a date night on Ravnica. This could be a one set situation where Jace and Vraska are like going through a date situation, kind of like the spy who knew too little and they have to go solve a thing to stop making so the wedding doesn't get ruined by mid visit or something. Cause uh, I think that I would much rather have gone to Ral and Tomic's wedding than um, this specific wedding. But other than that, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I think there needs to be more romance in magic and as a theme. And I think that this set is the first step into that. I wish there was, uh, it was less like connived as this set was, cause it was an arranged marriage for power versus I want, I just want, I just want to go to a return. Like imagine, Ravnica, but as a single set, and instead of a like big over like like Dragon's Maze was just a like a a, a relay race to see who become president. If, if you can do an entire block on that, you can do one set that's Ral and Tomic's wedding. Lessons. It didn't feel like a horror setting, but others felt the wedding took over the set and distracted from the gothic horror feel that they assured you with the plane. The tone was more celebratory than scary, and many fans of the plane of Innistrad said it didn't feel like the Innistrad that they had fallen in love with. Those people are wrong. Gonna call it right now. <laughs> like, first off, watch the trailer for this set. We're gonna use our 10 seconds of... Uh, you know, being able to show footage from other IPs without getting our advertising taken down right now. Yeah, no, this this is a terrifying set. Uh, a vampire wedding is spooky. People are wrong. I don't know who said that, and send them to me because I will tell them how wrong they are. Uh, training cleave and exploit were uh, more missed than hit. Both training and cleave didn't feel particularly suited to the overall flavor of the set. Training was seen as a kind of dull, and cleave was hard to process. Exploit sadly reminded players that the cave mechanic that they'd enjoyed in Instrument Midnight Hunt didn't return. It wasn't that they, any of these mechanics played poorly, they just didn't seem to enhance the set for many players. That's one point of why these sets should have been a little bit more linked. There should have been more of like this wedding happening and why it's a bad idea in the first set, and maybe have like other werewolf, some of the werewolves wanting to stop it directly, and that being the onus of why everything that was going on was going on. I know that was on the, the, like, very, very subtly, but more overtly that. I think that training is a boring, you know, I, I think every time there's a, when you attack benefit mechanic or something like that, it just ends up not being super exciting. Or, like, when cute something enters the battlefield, make another thing bigger. Like, all that 
plus one, plus one counters for like power. And, uh, cleave is actually a really cool mechanic. And I wish that there was someone remembered that they're about to go to a set with hackers and moved it to that because I think cleave as a mechanic is really fun. Uh, but it just, it wasn't the wrong set. And I don't know why it's on the Innistrad. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of the point here is I wish all the mechanics from the last set were just carried forward. I know blocks don't do that, but I think that would be cool here. And then instead of these have madness, Madness was in this set, so one of these mechanics, I think everyone would be happier. Um, the limited format was too bomby. There were several rares and mythic rares that weren't strong enough to see competitive play, but had a large enough impact on limited that they led to too many games and lost the opponent drawing a particular card. I think that's one of the big flaws of the set, is that the set was not powerful in standard or any any format like that, so none of the cards are worth anything, but in the format of limited, the limited was also bad, and so both ends hit badly. That's on them. I can't fix that. Making Madness a key mechanic probably would have helped, though. The vampires needed to be better. Vampires didn't have the quantity problem. Werewolves had an Innistrad Midnight Hunt, but they did have the quality problem. The vampires were overall on the weak side and didn't have uh, give the players as much of the build around in constructed formats, especially Commander. As vampires fans had hoped, the two biggest complaints were a lot of dissatisfaction with Odric, specifically as he was a popular character with a mostly unplayable card and the absence of a three-color legendary vampire. I definitely agree with the later. Um, I think just that, you know, you know, just bring blood gas back. They should have brought blood gas back. That would have been so dope. Oh man, blood gas is so cool. I know it has landfall and it wasn't coming back, but man, it's interesting because this was a perfect time. Like it's been 10 years. As I just said, since the original standard vampires was big in Zendikar, like bring back some of the like vampire nocturnus and like that kind of stuff coming back, I think would have been really cool and just totally missed it. I, I agree. All right, that is the Innistrad sets. On to Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Highlights. It was the home run set of the year. While there were criticisms, which I'll get to below, this was hands down the best received set of the year. Returning to Kamigawa had been a enfranchise player request for many years, so there was a huge amount of excitement when it did. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is the best set of the year. It's not close. Uh, there's a complaint later that I agree with you that's on that note. Uh, players enjoyed the core conflict of traditional versus modernity, but the set had to balance two different facets of the design. The desire to tap into Japanese themes, the first visit to Kamigawa had it while feeling like the plane players had fallen in love with. The solution to this problem was to have two different facets of the plane reflect each desire and then make the relationship between those two sides the core conflict of the plane. Both sides of the conflict got rave reviews, with some players loving the nod to Japanese pop culture and others loving the more traditional elements. Um, also true. I love, I love this set so much. <laughs> The throwback references were adored. The set made a lot of references to the original Kamigawa block, and it was eaten up by the fans who had long been waiting to return. It was clear that all of us that making the set had a much reverence for the plane as its biggest fans. I mean, a theme for two return sets. People like the sets that you're returning to. We want to see characters back. I, yep, I agreed. Uh, it was super fun draft set. Players enjoyed all the archetypes woven into the design, from ninjas and mechs to shrines, and the harmony theme that allowed players to play a little of everything. There was a lot of to explore, and players loved how each draft let you venture down a new path. Agreed. Uh, the mechanics seemed much beloved. Players seemed to love almost everything we could bigger. Saga creatures, the batching of samurai and warriors, the batching of ninjas and rogues, the return of ninjutsu. They even enjoyed channel returning. Players liked that we revisit some mechanical themes while finding new mechanics that hit on similar themes, but better executed than the original visit. I agree. Well, I, I, I've read this already. He kind of speaks to a lot of my complaints too. So again, 
Most of the players like the execution of Cyberpunk. Magic's roots are in high fantasy, but as I said above, R&D is testing the waters in what premier Magic plane is capable of. Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty pushed some boundaries and ended up with a lot of fans who believed it felt like a natural extension. This isn't to say that there weren't those who felt pushed too far, but they seemed like a small minority. Magic has, over the course of its story, extended 3,000 years into the future from a place where people were building mechs in the Urza Saga era. It is not surprising to me that we get planes that are closer to modern day or even a little bit in the future, but magic-y. And I think they did a great job at it here. Um, that's me saying that. Uh, I think that there's totally an openness to do cool stuff. There's the spoiled, like leaked Wild West stuff that's out there right now, too. I think all of it's really cool. And I want Magic to do their take on uh, every trope that they can. I'm excited for Star Wars in Magic. There's much love for a lot of the Japanese versions of the cards. In particular, the basic lands and the cards done by famous Japanese artists were the things most called out. Uh, I will say about this that this is absolutely true, but this set had more of just like standard Japanese artists that Wizards used for stuff like uh, Duel Masters. So very talented artists, which were totally fine. But the, it was like, I loved how much in War of the Spark, the Japanese Planeswalkers, each artwork was done by a famous mangaka or uh, Japanese uh, illustrator. And I wish there was a little bit more like every artist was something like that. And I might be off and there might, it may have had deeper, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them were just some of the artists from other games they've designed through their Japanese market, which is fine. It just isn't as like epic as every card being like from an artist that someone loves um, dis distinctly, classically. Uh, but the ones that were like that, phenomenal, out of the park, love them, bring them back. Uh, okay, so now we're into lessons. Players are sad that we were on Kamigawa for only one set. There has been a lot of discussion online about how long Magic should be staying on planes. There isn't much consensus, but most seem to agree that they would have liked the Kamigawa to go a second set. Block, bring blocks back. I mean, I know this one's a hard one. This is a hard one because, like, this is a set that they believed was a risk. So I don't think they were ever going to come to Kamigawa block as a two-part return. But I do think we could have done this. I do think moving forward, this is another sign, along with how good Innistrad was as a two-set block, that they could do blocks. And we would like that. Let me know in the comments if you disagree, but that's my thought. Um... The set didn't bring back elements certain players wanted. The challenge of revisiting a plane is fitting in all the things that fans of the plane wanted. Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty had the extra challenge that they were adding a significant number of new things, which meant that there were just things left out that players were sad to be seeing missing. For example, I got a lot of feedback from players who wanted to see spirits play a role mechanically as they had the original block. This included seeing more Kami in the set. Others wanted the subtype Arcane to return. Still others were sad Splice didn't come back. Players enjoyed what was in the set, but a lot of players would have liked to see their favorite personal thing show up. To me, I have two statements to this one i agree spirit should have been back in some way especially due to the fact that they play so well with the innerstrad set seeing as a block you're no longer doing blocks but you're doing standard environments having spirits as a carry through seemed like something that made a lot of sense two um i do think that uh this is what commander products can be used for basically what i would have done is i would have did a commander deck that was the splice onto arcane commander deck make a bunch of new arcane cards make a bunch of new splice cards reprint the good ones done easy and then i would have also done either a third one or two more kept the one that kept keep the red green one fine do one more a fourth one and that fourth one being a spirit one especially if you're not going to be putting it into the set itself um i also think you could have made the spirits a lot of the enchantment cards spirits uh the enchantment creatures and that would have played really well with the enchantment spirit disturb cards from crimson vow just just a thought to the extent that i don't i don't don't only reason I can think of that they didn't do that is like power level concerns, but I think that's so dope. It feels like a miss. 
Uh, if it wasn't always clear when a creature was an enchantment or artifact. Well, there were frames to help with this issue. Many players reported being somewhat confused about the card types of certain creatures. I think this ends with the fact that the definitions of why something counted as an enchantment or to a lesser extent an artifact was a little fuzzy. I don't I don't disagree with this one. It's I think that's hard. I think part of it is that the enchantment, the mix-based enchantment creature um, frame is like not as distinctive uh, or not distinctive enough compared to the artifact frame uh, from regular cards. I think they could have in the long run made something a little bit more distinctive there. That's my only answer. I don't, I don't have a good one here. It, it, yeah. <laughs> um, complexity was a tad high. There was a lot of going on in the set and some players felt it was like a little too much. This is the flip side of the positive note about all the draft archetypes. Most of the time depth comes with complexity. I think there is a different. I think there's a difference between complexity, which which I think in this set was good, and like a brick attacks that doesn't need to be there. And I and it it depends. Um, but I, I I think this set's limited format's awesome, so I I, I wouldn't change that too much. Anyways, uh, players weren't happy with Samurai's mechanical identity. There were a couple complaints with this note. One, many Samurai fans didn't feel the Exalted-like mechanical identity was a good fit for Samurai flavor-wise. Two, it didn't synergize well with all the old Samurai, which was a feel-bad. The one positive comment is that they did feel like a batching of the Samurai with Warriors because it provided more options for Samurai deck builds. Um, I agree with this. I I, I guess it's like hard because Bushido is such a lame mechanic and such a good mechanic name. Um, I can talk to how we do with Ryu. So in Battle Bosses, we have a character who's a dragon goddess who has an army of um, samurai warriors under her. And they're very much about land ownership. Um, they like they're the, the, the spread out your military force and try and take over as much of the board as possible. Um, and I think that's a cool place. Like lands matter for warriors is something that would maybe be cool. I don't know how to flavor that super mechanically. I think this is a challenge. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't hate the exalted theme for them. I think the exalted Mardu theme is pretty cool to be honest. All right. That's Kamigawa. Next is streets of new Capenna uh, highlights. Players are excited to see the return of a three-color set. Ikoria Layer Behemoths had a small three-color theme, but Magic hasn't had a fully dedicated three-color set since Cons of Tarkir back in 2014, not an alley-colored one since Shards of Lara Block back in 2008. The popularity of the Commander format has increased the desire for more three-color cards, so players were excited to see Streets of New Capanna have so many new ones to explore. I agree. I love a three-color set. Ikoria is one of my favorite sets of all time, as is Cons of Tarkir. So uh, the family mechanics were mostly well-liked. The most popular faction mechanic was shield counters, followed by blitz, connive, and casualty, causality, casualty. Also had a bunch of fans. Players were also happy to see Creature Fall finally get an actual name. I agree. All the mechanics from this set are amazing. I really like shield counters a lot, actually, and Kanaib is really cool. I have uh, no complaints about any of the mechanics. There was a lot of individual cool designs. Uh, a common response I heard about the set was that there were a handful of cards that really spoke to them, although what those cards were varied from player to player, which is a good thing. Like I, I, I do agree with the sentiment that like not every set is for every, not every card is for every person, and not everything is for you as long as there's something for everyone. And I think this is a good a good statement around that. Uh, fans enjoyed the look and feel of the plane. Streets of New Capanna like Kamigawa and Dynasty before it stretched the boundaries of what a magic plane could look like. The audience liked the visual aesthetic of the plane and enjoyed seeing the game trying something new. In particular, the large number of animal people was a huge hit. Um, the large number of animal people was a huge hit. I loved the Art Deco vibe. I loved the crimes, heist stuff. I mean, and this is me holding my hand up with cosplay intended. I very much enjoyed this set. 
Lessons learned. The plane was a little one-noted. The factions were distinct enough. The critics of the plane felt that it was a little too much about crime. Where was the law enforcement? Does crime mean anything if it's not done in violation of something? Also, they felt the five families were a bit too similar to one another. I, I agree with this. I think, like, the idea that they're all criminals from the get-go was a mistake versus all five of them being distinct sections of the city and you you just like understand that they're corrupt like, the fact that they were all led by demons would have been enough if you had not called them crime families if the cabaretti were the people that like you know it, it, it even two of them like the cabaretti and the maestros were the two crime families but then uh the other three groups were just like people that were running the city but actually there's something mysteriously evil going behind all of them that would have been a cooler play than than what we got. Um, there's there were issues with draft. There were some monocolor commons that were too strong, which led to sets getting uh, a bit aggressive, making two color decks more viable than three color decks, which was a disappointing three color set. There were also some issues with the color balancing and swinging rares. I was told it was a little too samey draft to draft. I actually uh, don't play limited enough to have too strong opinions on this, uh, but I I have heard complaints that limited in, in what wasn't very fun. Uh, I think that's like in three color sets, you want it to be a little bit slower and you also want it to be able to have different directions. You can go in the draft. I would have looked at cons a little bit more as like kind of a baseline. Um, there were creative elements that weren't explained well, leading to some confusion. The best example of this was the angels at the story's beginning. We learned the angels were driven from the city years ago. So it was surprising when so many angels showed up in the set. That was basic. That was because the end of the story led to the angels coming back, but not enough players were aware of that, so the set seemed to contradict what they knew of the story. I talked about this earlier. I think my best idea here is that angels should have only either either only shown up in the commander product with one or two showing up in the main set as like big main characters at Mythic, uh, or the the one angel to drop that can tap for angel mana is a great one, and then maybe like a mythic angel or two, and then everything else being in the commander product, or have the angels not show up in the commander product, have the commander product be the setting of the set, and then uh, have the individual, have all the angels having arrived at the beginning of the set. I mean, kind of that point is, I said this earlier, I'm repeating myself, but angels should have been like the onset. Like, the world is normal, bam, angels. And the pro this is the problem with the two-set block going away. I wish blocks were back too. Uh, Tricolor land should have been triomes. This is the naming issue that the design one, but I heard it a lot. I think the bigger mistake was that the triomes were called triomes. Could have all, should have all been tricycles, just like pictures of tricycles on different planes. Um, I do think the creative elements issue is one where the story is also not being told well. I I, I know that the written story for New Capenna is pretty lacking, and mostly just because it's it's not bad, it's just not very like. Like it doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't go anywhere. The intro, like Frixians being on the plane was also kind of like not as important as people had hoped it for it to be. Urbrask is on the set, but barely shows up in the story. It ends on a kind of the middle of the story point, And I don't think it ever actually ends itself. So people don't know how the story ends. There's like a lot missing there. Uh, next set is Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. Highlights. Uh, the set had a lot of flavor top-down D&D designs. One of the fun things about doing other IPs is having the ability to capture cool aspects of that IP in magic card form. A lot of positive comments I got about Commander Legends Baldur's Battle for Baldur's Gate was how excited players were to see some aspect they loved as an element of D&D now translated into magic mechanics. This set also went out of its way to capture a few things that Dungeons & Dragons, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms had missed. I do agree. It's really cool seeing the elements from other stuff come into magic. I, I said that earlier in the podcast. I love the Stranger Things card. I think a lot of them are less flavorfully than I liked for the Stranger Things cards. Like if you had 
the one thing I would say is that almost all of them, if you showed me that card and were like, what Stranger Things character is this? Most of them I couldn't really directly point to which character that would be in the story from a mechanic perspective, uh, other than maybe the colors. And that that might be true here. I don't know anything about the Dungeons and Dragons greater story. I will not, and I will admit that. I will say that I wonder if so. Both Dungeons and Dragons sets have been powered down, um, and it might just be because hitting the flavor of them is is interesting. But I think, or at least as we get through that, people feel like they're powered down. I wonder if some of it is just that Wizards expects some of the. Um, clout of the IP that they're using to sell it without it needing to be overly powerful. I think some of it might be also a little bit of them not wanting something that is an outside influence property, especially early on in this process, being so powerful that people have an issue with them not being able to reprint it if it's broken in a format like Legacy. That's not as much of an issue with Dungeons & Dragons, but I will say it's interesting that both Dungeons & Dragons sets, one of the big complaints about them was that they're underpowered. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the draft was a lot of fun. In last year's State of Design column, I talked about the original Commander Legends, and one of the lessons was that there was a lot of room for improvement in draft. Players' consensus is that the design team did a great job of understanding what needed to be fixed and then fixing it. I... Okay, so how many people actually drafted Commander Legends 1? This is an important conversation overall as we get through this set, but when I say that, I mean it was in the middle of COVID. Not in the middle of COVID, but it was in December of the first year of COVID. So I, it's hard for me to say that, like, when I played it, it's been fun. It may be a little bit grindy, and, like, you needed ways to kill players more quickly. You don't have the same feeling of excitement as you do in regular Commander that you've built. You don't have an engine to win with, so you need to be more focused on ways to kill opponents. But other than that, I thought it was, like, an amazing draft format, the two times I've been able to play it. I haven't played Baldur's Legends, but uh, I've heard that that's less true there. So I, I'm interested to see for people that have played both in the comments which one they liked more and why. The commander design was original and counted for a lot of the feedback from commander players. Uh, a big note we've heard from players is to stop designing commanders that usurp existing commanders and already existing decks and start making ones that force players to build something new. The feedback I got from Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate is that commanders do just that. I agree with that. I mean, I think like more interesting mechanical spaces. I don't think that's permanently available. I wish backgrounds just worked with partner, but that's my only mild minor complaint. The players enjoyed a lot of the mechanical execution. Backgrounds were generally a hit. Players were excited to see adventures in D&D set at a party in a commander deck. I got a bunch of compliments about initiative, although some weird were sad it just didn't let you venture into it any dungeon. Players seemed to enjoy all synergy between themes, and I got a lot of comments about how many of the cards iterated the neat multiplayer design space. Yeah, a lot a lot of the mechanicals were really cool. I, I I have a lot of complaints about how partner is. I feel like backgrounds being backwards compatible with partner could have been cool. I understand why that's way too powerful. uh, And I think they did a good job here. I do agree that it was cool that they did a party themed thing in one of the commander decks. I think that's a really fascinating thing to have brought back. I I, I wish they did more of that. Like I wish one of these was more dungeons themed of these sets being thematic to the original sets that they came in. Or not the, the the more callbacks to older magic mechanics that have a really good Dungeons and Dragons feel. Party being one of them, I kind of wish one of them was an allies deck. To be honest, I think that would have been a cool thing. But uh, yeah, that that's a that's something that is cool that they did with the commander sets. Uh, lessons. Uh, it shouldn't have been labeled as Commander Legends. The most common complaint I got was that players were expecting the set to be something that it didn't turn out to be. Many believe that the label Commander Legends implied that it would have a lot of highly desired reprints for Commander. The lack of Commander reprints combined with Double Masters 2022 coming on its heels with many of the reprinted players hope to see Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate irritated players. This is true. Um, I It's confusing to me. 
I get the complaint that there weren't valuable reprints in the set. And I think that what Wizards should have done is had like a, I, I think the mystical archive technology is not being used enough by Wizards. And this is a perfect set to have like a 35 card sheet with a bunch of really valuable cards, but done in the altered frame Dungeons and Dragons guidebook style. What Commander Legends means as two words together is not a master set. It is a set or even a horizon set, to be honest. It's a uh, draft format where eight people will draft a set. And then in that draft, you will draft a commander and have a commander deck built around that commander that then you separate into two four pod groups and play a commander game with the deck you drafted. It doesn't mean a reprint set. Yes, the first one had really good reprints, but this set I like that. That's the like the disconnect that hurts my brain with this. To be honest, is like I get the complaint that there weren't good reprints, and something like four good reprints in the set would have made the set for people or a cool sheet, as I mentioned. But and Double Masters timing and it coming like literally a week after previews of this was a massive mistake, especially during the fact that we have like three months right now where we have no sets coming out. If, if preview season started this week for Double X Masters, it had a massive window it could have come out with and would have gone on the heels of Baldur's Gate. So then the question I have to ask is, like, why do people expect that from the Commander Legends moniker? It feels like people, when they hear Commander Legends, are expecting something like Commander Masters, a set that has a bunch of really powerful reprints in it, or even Commander Horizons that has real, like, is guaranteed to have those reprints in it, when a Commander Legends set is just a draftable set designed to be able to be played in a Commander format and have cards that will benefit Commander itself, so cards that are designed for that. And I think there's a, a section of Commander players that hate that Wizards is doing that, but there's a lot of commander players that love those formats, love drafting, love commander, and would love to see those things combine. And I think that disliking wizards for making a product for those people is a mistake. Commander is now the largest intro format and the most played format in Magic, which means that there's designated sections of commander players that want things that are specific to them. And I think this is a great type of set for them. Should they have reprinted some stuff? Sure. But that could be said of every set that's bad. Every set that wasn't popular this year, having a, a mystical archive included would have made them way more popular. Maybe just do that forever, I guess. It felt more like Dungeons & Dragons Adventures in Forgotten Realms 2 than Commander Legends 2. This set chose to mix two different components, and many players felt it did a much better job of matching one element than the other. This wasn't just an issue of reprints, but also a feeling that the set didn't have enough cards that would have a strong enough impact on Commander. That's valid. Um, I think the background... I, I like. I wonder if, like, excluding my idea on partner and background, I, I wonder if this set had partner as a featured mechanic versus background, because partner works in Dungeons & Dragons. It would have done better. That's something that would be interesting to me to find out, but uh, we'll never know. Um, I, I, I think that's, more than ever, this feeling of separation feels strongest because it doesn't have abilities like partner or things that felt like a throwback to commander, and I think that would have been an easy way to do so. Um the set didn't have magic callouts, especially in the commanders. Another frustration with the product being set in D&D world is that it didn't allow Commander Legends Battle of Baldur's Gate to deliver on something players love from the first Commander Legends. They threw a lot of throwbacks to old magic lore. The commander decks tied to be premier sets. There are fewer opportunities to make commanders of favorite old characters, and there was a sadness that the set missed out on that opportunity. Ah, this doesn't bother me at all. I, do, I, I mean, I guess it does for other people. And I tweeted about this. People did have this as a complaint. There's so many different old characters that come out in Commander products, in Horizon sets, in the fact that we're about to do a giant time travel set. I, I don't know. Uh, it's not as, I mean, 
yeah, I'm I'm fine. I mean, one thing that would have been cool, which they're doing for the next set anyways, uh, uh, Dominaria United, if you had brought some of the legend sets, because they're all D&D characters to begin with, I think that would have been cute. But other than that, I don't know. Eh. There wasn't much mechanical innovation. The set mostly brought back old mechanics, and even when it made something new, there was mostly tweaks of existing things. Some players were sad that they didn't innovate more mechanically. Fine. Sure. I guess. Small complaint, but it's there. All right, so that's it. That's uh, it for uh, this version of an episode. I it, Let me know uh, if this was something y'all enjoyed. It was me talking to an article that no one else was on the other side of. Uh, but I thought there was a lot of really cool stuff in here. I do think overall I really liked a lot of what was going on this year. Some of my most favorite sets of all time. Uh, not of all time, but some favorite sets that I really loved. Uh, and maybe Kamigawa hits top 10 sets of all time came out this year. New Capenna, as far as a world, is one that I love and I think I'd love to see more of. Um, and even the Innistrad sets are some of my favorite planes of all time. I thought they were a decent return to them with some tweaks that would have made them better. I think there's a lot of interesting missteps that happened throughout the year. Almost every set other than Neon Kamigawa had like something weird about it. Um, in some ways, Magic feels like it's in a similar place that Marvel is, where it like has a little bit of an identity crisis after its big story, and it's trying to ramp up to a new one, but not as much as it could, or at least was like hinting at it without fully committing to it. Um, I, often, I often think it's funny how much the MCU and Magic mirror each other and how they're kind of attacking their storytelling. Um, I... I, I love a lot of what magic is doing i think magic is in a great place and i think that there's lessons learned from this year that are really interesting i think the fact that there is kind of a conversation about returning to blocks is cool that's pretty much it for today's episode uh thank you so much a to our sponsors uh altar sleeves there's a really cool altar sleeves that we're going to be doing um i'll have them to show off probably in the next episode uh that we'll be doing specifically for our patrons uh, so make sure to check that out. It's really, really cool. We're doing a Kickstarter right now. I mean, that's the really big important thing at the moment. It's for Drop.D20s. Uh, hopefully there's cool information that's popping up right now. Uh, hopefully we've already reached our, our first uh, funding goal and we're trying to hit our stretch goal. If we do a stretch goal, we get to do all the different D20, D, D sides, D6, D4, D8, all the different Dungeons & Dragons dice. Thinking, speaking of Dungeons & Dragons things that you can use for rolling for these D20 cards that are on the Dungeons & Dragons sets. So please make sure to check those out. Um, link in below. And super appreciate if you guys can all help. Uh, you know, uh, podcast can use it. Uh, and then last but not least, thank you, Channel Fireball. Uh, if you use the code DMMCAST, uh, you can uh, use that to get involved. And uh, yeah, it, it, once again, if you uh, can support us through Channel Fireball, uh, that's where we come out every week. It's a great place to buy cards. You can use the code DMMCAST at checkout, and it tells them that we're there and throws love towards us. And that's really great. And lastly, there's a big command summit happening our magic summit happening at, at by kingdoms uh, tv you can see um uh, i'm on it uh and if you are going to that we're, we're trying to go as well and, and you going makes it easier for us to go check out to buy tickets if you use the code of the mcast you get five percent off that as well so check all those things out we hope to see you soon uh and we'll talk to you next week this has been a production of time traveler media sending podcasts into the future